Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pop Culture Podcast. Tyson Popplestone here today for the second episode of the week, which, as you're starting to find out, is an interview with a, uh, a person I like, person I'm interested in, and uh, today's absolutely no exception. Joined by the uh, the great man, good friend of mine, Joseph Green, who is a, uh, a Melbourne comedian. He's a he's a big time model as well. He spent time in New uh, New York modeling for Calvin Klein, and man, it doesn't take you long to figure out why. He's a, he's a gorgeous-looking bloke. I was quite happy doing FaceTime with him this whole podcast. And uh, and to add to add a little bit more fuel to that fire, he's not just a good-looking bloke. He's a, uh, he's a very, what do you say? He's a very switched-on unit. He's a very kind, very caring, very interesting bloke. And I've always been fascinated in him since I first sort of met him and had a couple of conversations with him. There's something about me that uh, it just makes me curious. I, I, like, I like where he comes from. And uh, so I asked him on the show because I wanted to pick his brain around his comedy, around his modelling, around his mindset and philosophies. And hey, uh, fairly naturally, this conversation took a few different directions and uh, it was a good conversation. I certainly enjoyed myself, was super grateful to have the uh, the great man on. And uh, and hopefully, whether you're a, a comedian or a creative or just a curious person, hopefully you can take something out of this that was uh, that was helpful. So hey, welcome to the show for the very first time, the great man, good friend of mine, so what are you gonna Mr. Tell Joseph us, Green. My usual, zero, nothing. On, man what's going on good to see you man how, how are you going yeah oh dude i uh i'm got oh dude actually actually I've, i had covid all week and for a bloke i don't know if you've seen many of my instagram stories but for a bloke who's been very tough and doesn't want to hear anything about covid i took it like an absolute bitch <laughs> how, how was it for you it was, it was pretty pretty hard oh huh? Dude, I got I got whacked. I'm uh, I'm gonna ask you about yours in a minute. But so I I went down to I was at Funny Funny near the Brunny on Monday, mm-hmm. and I was I went for a run at lunchtime. I went for like a, a six and a half k run. It wasn't super hard, but I don't know if you remember Monday. It was like it was 31 degrees, middle of the day, and uh, I, I went out and I got back. And you know that feeling where you you're sort of like a little bit achy, but you can't quite tell whether or not it's just because of the fact you've uh, you've just maybe pushed yourself a little bit hard or it's the heat or what. Yeah. I had that kind of feel, which mm-hmm. which in like the, the distance running scene or the endurance scene, as I know you're aware, it's like not an uncommon experience. Mm-hmm. So I finished my run and I was like, man, I'm I'm a bit cooked. And I thought I thought I was just maybe being a little bit soft. So I, I smashed some water and then dropped, like I'm a, an hour and a half away from, from Funny Near the Brunny, this room in Melbourne. Um, I was about an hour and a half away from there and 45 minutes in, I was like, oh gee, I'm feeling a bit achy. Like I really haven't handled that run well. Wow. And dude, my favorite part of catching up or, or going to the comedy scene is like, he's, he's catching up with people saying, hello, how you going? Anyway, I got there about an hour before the show started just cause you know, I've just way underestimated, way overestimated my time to get there. And uh, with about half an hour before the show even started, I went back to the car for a power nap and I was like, oh, something's yeah. off something's well, a little off and yes. uh i was like oh well i've, I've bloody I, I at this stage i wasn't even thinking COVID. i was like i think i think i've I, you know just i'm feeling a bit run down maybe i need a good night's sleep and then on the way home i started to get like little jitters the sweats and i was like oh i know exactly what's happening here and then and then tuesday man i got whacked it was just an embarrassment it was embarrassment to me. I was embarrassed for my wife to see me. I was like, I've talked such a big game about my immune system the last 12 months, and it's going to take me on day one. 
Mate, you're too hard on yourself. I, I, I was hard on myself. No, bro, honestly, if you had seen me on day one, I, I, I deserve it. When you say Monday, you mean uh, today is Friday. So you Today's mean Friday. Five days ago or 12 days ago? No, 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 uh, five days ago. So Monday I got whacked. And then oh Tuesday, bro, you... this is what this is what I was getting to. Tuesday, I started to get a bit arrogant again because I got out of bed, had my appetite back. I started to think, you know, I think I think we're going to be okay. I think I'm back. And then, um, and then, yeah. Since then, like today's the best day. Like I was so glad. I, I deliberately said when we were organising this, let's do Friday because because uh, yesterday I probably wasn't the greatest bloke to talk to still. Um, and then and and today I'm back to being a hundred percent there. The greatest bloke to have a podcast with. But how did, <laughs> how did you do it? How did you manage? Because uh, I've given no one any sympathy. Like, I've, I've honestly been such a harsh judge of this whole COVID thing. And then, so when people say they have COVID, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, no worries. Uh, I've seen a couple of days and had no sympathy. And it just so happens that I'm, like, surrounded with a million blokes who have the same attitude because I kept reaching out for sympathy on Tuesday going, hey, guys, I've got COVID. And they're like, lol, like, all right, we'll see you next week. <laughs> uh, so what's the question? What what was my how did you, Yeah, how did you, I, you go? Because I gave you nothing. It knocked me out a lot, Tyson. Yeah, it knocked me out a lot. But uh, I would say maybe significantly more than you because, I mean, you're five days in it, past it. Did you, did you test positive on Monday? Uh, no, I tested positive on... On Tuesday, I did a rat test. Okay, and you tested positive then. Tested positive, yeah. And look, you, you, mate, you're radiant, you're energetic, you're looking, you're glowing as per usual. Stop it. And 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 here, I mean, I had it. I think January second, January third, and uh, I didn't. I didn't run for like at least close to a month. Between between runs. Yeah. Between any exercise. Even like three weeks later, I was walking for ten minutes and I would be exhausted. It's a, it's a bit of a, yeah. It's been really interesting, man. My, um, I've got friends who have, who have just been at the, the end. Who I would say I'm a lot healthier than, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. It just doesn't, it doesn't seem to be a super respecter. I thought it was just going to hit my immune system and go. You know what? I'm not even going to bother here. I'm just going to keep moving. Yeah. But it was quite happy to hang around. Whereas I got, I got friends um, who'd be quite comfortable to tell you they got man boobs and they got over it far quicker than me which i i was fairly insulted by no you're pretty quick i mean literally you're two or three or four days past you know what i uh i met i met a naturopath this is such a random experience i I was just down on the beach here about a week and a half ago and i saw this bloke coming out of the water and i thought mate this guy he looks fit he just look you know when you see someone he's got a little bit of joe green about it he just he looks fit looks healthy you just said i'm glowing i return those words to you uh he he was coming out of the water, and I was just I was just curious about him. I thought this guy he just looks like he's got an interesting story to tell. He had some he had some pretty wild tattoos, which I, I thought suggested like a little bit of an interesting past. And I went up to him, and we just started having a chat. And I said, "Mate, like, what do you what do you do with yourself?" And he was a naturopath, and uh, uh, he's like, "Yeah, mate, I've been been flat out at the moment." He's like, "So if you get if you get whacked with COVID, like, come see me. I'll, I'll be able to look after you a little bit." Oh wow! And so and so he did. Um, so he, he hooked us up with, he, he gave us, uh, I think it was corseton, which is, mm-hmm. I, I've been trying to, I was trying to get my head around it the other day. Cause I'm, it's, it's quite like a, uh, I don't know how, how good your understanding of all this stuff is, but 
I think quercetin it might be like a combo of like zinc and vitamin C. Okay. Apparently, it's supposed to like re-energize your your cells that are affected by um, by COVID. So I sort of I took oh, it for it's, a day. It's a, ster- it's a steroid hormone. So it's a little bit more uh, potent than zinc. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, okay. Okay. I've been I've been reading up about that because I was thinking I wonder if that's had like any significant impact on. On recovery and stuff so i i assume it, it so, so you, you did take the cortisone or it's not cortisone it's oh cortisone. sorry not not cortisone no quercetin it's uh it's q u e r c i t i n spell it again uh q u e r t i c i n i might have that spelling wrong but c c e t i n c yeah it could be that okay Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we're getting a bit closer to something zinc esque. Yeah, I was gonna say. Well, I was way off because I've had cortisone before. I know. I know that's a, a type of steroid. Yeah, it's uh. So the, quercetin. Quercetin, I think you say. Yeah, it's a, a plant, flavanol from the flavonoid group of, polyphenols. This is, why I don't, this is why I don't get too far invested in this scene, Joe, because I can't get past the opening sentence. It's in blueberries. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah, perfect. That's yeah. what I should have told you. Um, so he's, oh, you he's, knew that? No, I, I wish I could have told you that, but I okay. had no idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he hooked us up with that and a, a couple of other bits and pieces. And, and my wife, uh, she's she's on this, like a, a little entry-level um dose just in case just for a little bit of extra protection because she, she get it as so well? far nah nah oh, not, wow. not so far she's got the rat test ready to go but she's like i'm not wasting it until i uh until i actually start to show a few symptoms no that's that's smart that's prudent of her yeah man anyway yeah. so that was uh that was my experience but you got whacked what about a month between runs you said yeah yeah jeez. Yeah. dude i was keen to um i was super i was super pumped to to finally get around to, to having you on because I, uh, man, there's, it's an interesting set. It's not necessarily, it's not a, a, a podcast aimed at comedians in any sense. I'm just, I just want to, uh, you know, start chat. You, you know, the story of my background with podcasts. I'm, I'm just interested. I know, mate, you slide that. into DMs of, you find the most famous people you can, and then you find their less famous partner and you slide into their DMs and, and you try to work your way through the wow, family Joe. tree until you get your prized objective. I don't know who you're looking for here. Yeah, but... I was I was wanting to audition for Superwalk. I'm just not sure if this is the <laughs> right platform to, to put in my request. It's uh so for for those of you wondering what's happening right now, I uh I stupidly overestimated my ability to be able to trust Joe with my tactics on getting people on my podcast. Because a couple of years ago I had a podcast. This is for the listeners, Joe, not you obviously. You you no. know all about it. Yeah. I uh, I had a podcast called Intention when I was living in London and I was a big fan of Rich Roll and I'd sent Rich Roll a number of messages saying, hey, come on my podcast. And the message had been seen and not responded to. So I thought, I, that's, he's a busy man. No worries. I get that. So I said, what I'll do, I'll message his wife. She's a yoga <laughs> teacher. I'm interested in that. No one, like no one will be any the wiser. Like, it's just, a, <laughs> this is a shoo-in. So me and, me and Julie Pyatt, did a podcast which was fantastic. We spoke yoga. She critiqued my commitment to it, saying thirty minutes a couple of times a week probably wasn't enough. But I said, "Well, that's 
sort of more information than I was hoping for. And then um, I sent Rich a message a few weeks later going, Rich, had a great chat with you. What? Still no response. So <laughs> I told you that thinking uh, I could just I could just come out and confess. And you said, Tyus, it's, it's immediately obvious to me exactly what you've done. You're using people to try and get a better target. I said, is it? Is that how you perceive it? And you said, that's what you're doing. I said, okay, well, I'm sorry. You've caught me. Oh, so funny. That oh, dude. No, but I can I can genuinely say I'm not using you for anyone. I'm, I'll, I'll, a podcast is a good excuse to be able to sit down with a, with a person you're curious about. I, I've We've rubbed shoulders a little bit, man, like just from probably not not heaps considering how many gigs there are. Yeah. But but I'm always fascinated. Uh, I'm always fascinated in you as a bloke. I've been fascinated. You got an interesting personality. You got an interesting combination of of skill sets. And I was kind of curious to break that down. I, I just want to make sure, like for the uh, for the audience, I'm actually telling them the right thing. So yeah, you're obviously. I know you're a stand up comedian. Yeah. Um. You got a background in modelling. A little bit. Yeah. It's more than a little bit, isn't it? You've you've. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google this. So I know Calvin Klein's one of them. My wife is well and truly aware Calvin Klein's one of them. Because it's a screensaver on her phone. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, not <laughs> it's not, but it could be. Uh, and and uh, what, what else are you doing? You, you're doing some acting. You got a, you got an interesting combination of skill sets going on there. What am I doing at the moment? I'm uh, I'm finishing a a degree at the moment that I started almost 20 years ago, Tyson. So it'll be a big thing when I get it done. How old are you? I'm. How old am I? I this year I'll be 37. Yeah. Okay. You got a couple on me. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but yeah, I'm finishing a degree, so I'm studying sort of part time, full time at the moment. Um, I'm I'm going away in in a week to the to the Himalayas, and I'm gonna just spend a couple of months there until the comedy festival, and um, so that's what's on the horizon or the like near future. I'll finish a couple of exams and then um, head off, and hopefully something funny happens between uh, now and the comedy festival starting, and I've got something to talk about. Man, but... have you uh, have you been to the Himalayas before? No, never. Have dude, you I been? Spent, I spent a month there in 2015. Um, so I was actually, dude, crazy story. I actually, so I retired from middle distance running, and I was like, all right, what am I going to do with all this energy? And uh, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll try and climb Everest. Like, we'll we'll have a crack. And dude, I uh, so long story short was like, all right, you need to raise a hundred grand, which is how much it costs to climb. Um, but because I'd never climbed before, man, I had to um, I had to qualify. Like I had to get the approval of the company that I wanted to go with. So so we flew. Mate, to you like, are wild. Do you? Make <laughs> well, this is what I like about you, man, because I I feel like you got a little bit of that in yourself, which is which is uh, ironically enough coming up uh, because we're talking about the Himalayas. But dude, we flew into Lukla. Um, on one of the, I don't know if you're going to be doing the same thing on like a, it's like a little 12 seater plane. You fly, you're just flying through mountain ranges, obviously. I don't know if you've seen videos of it and then just into the, uh, into the middle of a mountain is this runway. And that's sort of where your, your, your plane lands and you just start your trek, depending on which part of the Himalayas you're, you're climbing through. I was sort of going base camp route. Did you actually try to make the top of Everest? Well, okay. So that. Here's how the story goes, bro. That so I was there for a month, and that was a qualifying trip. So on that month, I had to climb two mountains. One was called uh, Island Peak, which yep. I think is five thousand eight hundred meters. Yeah. 
and the other one was called Mount Lobachet, was which was six thousand three hundred mm-hmm. meters. And uh, dude, so the morning of the Island Peak, the first qualifying round, I was fine with altitude. I was I was doing my Wim Hof breathing. It was a really slow, it was a really slow sort of ascent to to the higher levels that we were getting to. Um, but the morning of our first attempt at Island Peak, I got made oats because uh, the Sherpas just do everything for you. And they made me a batch of oats, but it was with like a, it was like a lukewarm water. Yeah. And dude, I, I got, I got the worst, I was going to say barley belly. I got the worst food poisoning I've, I've ever had. Uh-huh. So I was, I was about three hours into like my first climb of any mountain pitch black just like shitting myself, <laughs> vomiting with like a group of people who I've, I've sort of just met. Um, and, and so that was a set to that mountain. Uh, I had to climb both of them to even be considered for the qualification. I didn't make that one. Five days later, we went to Ireland, uh, Mount Lobachet, which was the higher one. And I got to the top of that, um, oh. with a, which was like, for me, felt like such an extraordinary achievement. But dude, Amazing. I got to the top. And uh, the bloke, the Sherpa we were climbing with, I was sort of on my hands and knees, just going, oh, thank God, like I made it. What an achievement. Dude, this guy is next to me. He lights up a cigarette. And it's just, for him, it's just it's just part of the, it's part and part. He climbed Everest seven times. Perfect. Um, and I was like, dude, I just don't think I'm cut out for this. So <laughs> I, I didn't end up going back for the, uh, for the full attempt. Uh, it was supposed oh, to be wow. the following April. But um, but man, like the memories of, of the Himalayas, I'm really jealous that you that you're going. Where do you know what the uh, what the kind of roadmap looks like for you? What it's. I I think I'm gonna spend more time at the Annapurna track. Ah uh, yeah. 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 Um, Annapurna. Yeah, that's what people been telling me. Um, is maybe a more scenic or more like, I think it, from what I've heard, like the Mount Everest base camp track is sort of just there and back you get to mount everest i'm sure it's gorgeous in its own way but i think um the annapurna track you're it's a longer track and you're higher for longer and it's more maybe scenic or i i don't know but i have i have a friend over there who's in Kathmandu at the moment and so he invited me a while ago and at first i think he would have invited me like late december and immediately I dismissed it. I thought that's crazy, and you know, and and then I got sick, and I thought, no, no way could I do it. And I think actually it wasn't even legal to go to Nepal from Australia in December, but they it became legal in January to to fly to Nepal. Even even though on the government website, if you if you look at it, it just says anything they can to to deter you from going. They've got all these natural disasters. They've they've got terrorism issues, and any issue you can think of, health and safety, they'll, they'll name it. Just excuse me for a moment. No, you're right, um, Yeah, but so I'll fly into Kathmandu, and then uh, I just kick it from there. That's awesome, man. That's all. And what's that? Two months. I think I'm I'm there for about six weeks all up. That 
is insane, man. And what's the plan? So you, you're just going to be walking or are you going to be sort of based in a particular spot? Or like what's the uh, – do you have like any real plan to the, the trip as, as much? Yeah, as so I'm, I'm meeting my friend. I think we'll, we'll – so the Annapurna Trail gives us a bit of movement and trajectory. And that goes for three-ish weeks. And then I guess we might digress from the path from time to time as well, Tyson. You know, that's always – where the gold is, isn't it? Oh my god! And there's there's a lake somewhere. It's the highest lake, either in Nepal or maybe the world. Um, and so we might do a bit of Wim Hof, uh, out, out there, which could, could be good. Dude, that'd um, be amazing. But yeah, I, we're looking forward to it. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's it's. I did a trial show for the comedy festival on the weekend, and I said whatever this show is. It's not going to be the show that I do because I'm out of here. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm spending two months in the Himalayas with the Tibetan monks and hopefully they give me something to talk about. Otherwise I've got nothing. I've got so many. Yeah. You're going to have so, it's going to be, it's going to be the most intense show you come back with. It's dude. I, I went over there as a vegetarian, made friends with a family on like day two. And uh, I was like a pretty, like I was a pretty hardcore video at this stage. I hadn't eaten meat in like four or five years. And I was sort of like maybe a little religious about it. Anyway, I was, I was just, I don't know what it was. I was just walking around the street one day and some bloke came up to me and uh, I, this is probably just young and naive. He's like, hey, you should come and have dinner with me and my family. I was like, why wouldn't I? And uh, so dude, we jumped on like a, the roof of a bus and we, we drove like 45 minutes out of town. And what was crazy though, was we got 45 minutes out of town. And so this is 24. 15 i think it was at the start of 2015 or late yeah it was the start of 2015 they had a massive like a massive earthquake over there and there was like yes. a there was a heat like thousands you were, there, there. you were there during that time I, I wasn't there during the earthquake i was there not long after the earthquake whoa, whoa, whoa. and uh so we got off this guys we got off this bus roof and he's like why were you on the roof why were we not there was, the just, bus? there was no room in the bus and over there it was just accepted that all right it wasn't just me and him on the bus roof. There was there was thirty five of us on the bus roof, just holding on, just doing these. They, they what do you say bus roof? Like, like, do they have any partitions or handles that you're holding whilst yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just like it's not just like seeing one of these um like metro buses with a bloke trying to balance on top. You know, yeah. it's uh yeah. I can't remember exactly what it looked like, but they um there, there was some kind of it's quite wonky out there as well so there was some kind of barrier around to stopping us from falling off and we got there no worries but it was crazy because because we got to uh near where his house was and gradually it just got more and more sort of desolate and then they just got more and more buildings which looked like they'd been really rocked by these earthquakes and as we got off he's like mate just so you know he's like all of this here he's like where we walk to our house this used to be like our accommodate this used to be our place so we're walking over like rubble of where his neighborhood was and we got to like this little tent and uh, inside the tent, his wife's there cooking like this little stew for me. She'd never met me before, but she found out we were having guests. Anyway, they say the, the number one thing you don't want to do when you get there is don't eat meat because like white boy stomachs really struggle uh, to, to handle meat, especially if you haven't eaten it for so long. Mm -hmm. And we walked in, she's like, hey, like I've prepared you like a little chicken curry. And I was like, oh no, how am I going to tell I'm a vegetarian? <laughs> I didn't, I, I took the chicken like a champion. But, um, but man, like just, uh, so 
it was just a crazy experience to, to not – like you're walking over rubble to this bloke's house. There's just so many little stories like that. I'm not sure why that came to mind when we're talking about what could possibly be funny at the Melbourne Comedy Festival because it's not really – it's actually quite devastating. Yeah. But um, in terms of just memorable moments, I reckon you'll uh, – I'm sure you'll come back with a few. How long were you there for, Tyson? Yeah, a month. Wow. A okay. Month. Yeah, yeah, and we were, we were stuck at Lufla, which is the airport um, – uh, you know, just as the, I'm not sure. I, I just call it like the base camp site. I think there's, there maybe there's a number of ways. Yeah, Lukla is the that's the closest airport to Mount Everest base camp. Yeah, sure. And I think it was like we we did that over like maybe a week and a half. So we were quite slow. I think you can do it a lot quicker to get to Everest base camp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so we took it super slow. Wow. Uh, I'm fascinated. Like your the your naivety and ambitiousness just that you stopped running and you're like oh, i'm gonna climb everest now and it's just incredible and and that pro i've never heard of this process of uh qualifying like what organization is running qualifications for climbing mount everest so when they say qualification it's so they could i guess confidently offer insurance to what oh, wow. I was trying to do. Yeah, so it's not it's not so much a qualification as looking at me going, all right, well, if, if you've never done this before, you're really seriously considering it, yeah. we'll consider you as long as you tick these basic requirements. Because it wasn't mm -hmm. like I was a bloke who'd been there for the last 10 years and I'd just gradually been making my way up higher and higher, which mm -hmm. like, you, you don't even need to do that. If you've got the money to spend, like people, companies will take it. But I was, I was obviously, I, I didn't want to kill myself doing it, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I also wanted to go with like a pretty reputable group. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as a part and parcel of even being considered for that group was, all right, climb these two mountains. So when I didn't get up that first one, they're like, all right, mate, well, you're more than welcome to come back again next year. But you know, the, the deal was the deal. Um, well, so you did have to, if you didn't make that ascent, then it's, it's no go. It was no go for that year. Oh, yeah, okay. They wanted me to go back. And a lot of the, uh, a lot of the different companies have different rules like that. Like some might say, okay, if you get up Island peak, you can you can come back and we'll, we'll have a crack. And yeah, I don't know. There's just, it, it's such a business there as well, man. Like there's oh, some companies will take you up for 50 grand. The one I was going with, but I think they're pretty much like carry your bags, cook your dinner, yeah. um, you know, bring your tent. And I was like, mate, I want to do this in style if I can. I'm not that much of a mountain man. So I was trying to get like a little bit of luxury on the side, but uh, I thought 50 grand for a, a little bit of added luxury in the Himalayas. I feel like I'm missing the point. <laughs> I, I, I want to get to the top of Mount Everest, but it must be luxurious. Yes, I don't want to get my feet wet. You know what I mean? I want to be. I want to stay relatively warm. Well, it's interesting though, man. Like you, you mentioned the um, like it's a, it is a, it's a strange journey going from the running world to the Everest world. But this is, this is one thing I'm interested in talking to comedians like yourself about because I, I find the correlation between uh, between sort of any competitive endeavor and and the world of stand up comedy really similar. Mm, mm. And the idea of um, the idea of like in the running world, which is my background, you, you're constantly getting smacked with with disappointment or or a failure or, or just a stuff up along the way, which is you can learn to sort of not get too emotionally attached to it, which is something I'm still learning to navigate. Like it's yeah, uh, but the world of comedy, it's uh, for for people who don't you don't just get on stage and you're bringing your A material every single week. You're getting on stage. And saying something that you wrote down last night that you thought might be funny, that when you say in front of a room full of people, they look at you going, "Is this guy serious?" And your your ego has to try and navigate its way around not being embarrassed and also trying to look as though you're holding it together 
when you're on stage, just trying to, you know, work through your material. I was, I was sort of curious. This is one thing I wanted to pick your brain about, man, because you've got a really, I think just, I, I think just generally, like you're, you've got a, you've got a very confident presence, very kind, very patient. Like you, you, you seem very present, you know what I mean? Which is a, a really cool and a really rare skill, I think. Um, but to, to tap into the world of, uh, of comedy, like if you're, if you're having a set that doesn't feel as though it's going well, I, I can't tell just by looking at your face. You've, you look as though you're composed. Like, has no. that been a, a, how long have you been doing this for? And, and how have you learned to sort of keep your emotions together mid bomb? Thanks Tyson for acknowledging. I'm good at, I'm good at bombing is basically what I hear. <laughs> in that. I'm, trying to, I'm uh, reaching for you. some comfort to hear. I appreciate it. I think, you know <laughs> what, how what I feel saying, about that clarification. So I say that again. It's not what I'm saying, just to be clear. No, no, no. I appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you. Thank you for the nice words. I, I, that, that's very sweet. I, my attitude about bombing is that in any time you're bombing on stage, if as long as there are people listening and there are people in front of you, you're just building attention between yourself and the audience. And if there's no laughter and there's just silence, it's just building more tension. And the more tension you can build, you're just a moment away from a big laugh. So like you, you've, you've, never, you've never lost it until you've decided you've lost it. So you can like have moments that are, are, are bombing moments, but at any moment in a stand-up set, as, as you know, you can, you can flick the switch and turn it around. And that's, that's the joy of it. That's the, that's the fun of it that how can you wrestle it back? And um, yeah, I, 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 I enjoy like really leaning, leaning into bombs like that, where it feels like, oh, he is so shit. <laughs> and then something changes in you, in, in them. And, or maybe it doesn't, and maybe just eat shit the whole set. But there might be a lesson there. Maybe there's not, maybe just tired and in a bad mood. And, um, but there's always something, I mean, it's very rare to do a set that's like where it's not worthwhile in some way. Mm. But I mean, you spoke about, uh, like the attitude of being an athlete and doing comedy. I think that there is a, like there's a lot of resilience required to do, especially stand up or any performing arts, but definitely stand up because it's so unrelenting and night to night and you're really opening it. But I remember there was this, um, there was this Pokemon game. My brothers played a lot as uh, when we were kids and there's one that out has been emblematic of like what stand up is. And I can't remember what, character you were but there's these rocks being catapulted at you and basically what you have to do you have to harden your shell when the rocks are thrown at you and protect yourself and every time you shell, you lose a bit of energy but if the rock hits you and you're not protecting yourself you get squashed and you get you lose a lot of energy so the trick of the game is just to like harden your shell for as little as possible just to protect yourself and then otherwise remain open as as much as you can and i feel like that's so much of you know doing stand-up is that 
just staying open, staying, paying attention to what's happening in the room, in yourself. And other times off stage, sometimes even on stage, you need to have a sort of self-preservation apparatus to insulate yourself and just navigate the scene a bit because there are so many different um, jostling egos and that you have to navigate and realize it's, it's never personal, even though it's so tempting to take all these little interactions personally that everyone's going through a lot of shit and just, we're just there to like make people laugh. So I don't know. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm just talking shit. Dude, no, it's a good point. That's uh, it's interesting. I, I feel like one of the, like when you, when I see you and you sort of, you're just flowing, you seem to have a nice balance between like going from your material to actually riffing a little bit with the audience. And I saw uh, like a perfect example. You posted on Instagram the other day, just you at the resistance bar here in Melbourne. And uh, it was just such a funny line. I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but you're speaking to, I think it was one guy. Yeah. And you said you looked over there and it sounded like there were seven different laughs coming from that one direction. Yeah, and yeah, this yeah. Guy, he's, got seven, he's got seven different people in his heart. And it was like, <laughs> it's such a nice riff moment where I, I'm a real fan of that style of comedy where it's like, all right, yeah, he's clearly not just going through his routine. He's not just reciting jokes that he's worked on in the shower for, for 45 minutes and he's coming out here and just to show us his recitation. It's you yes. get out there and you, you, you do your jokes, but also there's a guy with a funny laugh and you go, ah, oh, but hey, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it, is that something you feel quite comfortable doing? Is that like to be able to tap think, into? Yeah, I think you just, I just follow my instinct of what feels most prevalent in the room. And I think often the funniest thing to do is going to be something that's happening in the room. Mm. I mean, uh, and and being but just having the freedom to let go of the the good idea that you thought was so good beforehand, um, I mean it's important to explore that as well, and that's how we create material. Uh, and I think the audience appreciates it as well because as soon as you do something like that, they realize oh this person's they're with us they they've been they're listening to what we're seeing and what we're giving, and um, that, that they maybe feel more connected. Um, with you because of that mm. um yeah I, I don't know yeah where, where are you getting your material man is it, it like have you got a routine where you'll sit down you go all right i'm gonna write for half an hour today or like your mate says something and you go actually he's not a comedian i can take that and make that way funnier like where because this is something i find really interesting i've been at it now for three years man which is I, like relative newbie i don't know i don't know how long you've been going for uh about where I've been really going at it, um, this is my seventh year, nearly seven years, where yes. I've been going at it, you know, a lot. Yeah, awesome, man. Yeah. One of the things I'm constantly just trying to navigate is where does the best material come from? And so often the answer is, sometimes it is, but so often it's not just sitting down and going, all right, here's it. I'm just going to write like a joke that I think might be funny. It's usually the spontaneous stuff for me, I feel, which is, uh, is the most... Uh, is the most natural, the most funny? Is there something that stands out to you in your own sort of schedule of, of where your best material comes from? Um, well, I think it's a, a balance, isn't it, of exercising that discipline of writing or trying to mind and doing all you can in that regard. And then just paying attention to the rest of your life when funny moments happen, when someone says something that you think, oh, that could be something 
and writing it down and then sharing it. Uh, I mean, the answering the question of where does the best stuff come from? I mean, that's that's the elusive question, isn't it? And there, there, there's no precise answer other than like paying attention to your own life and paying attention to yourself and how you see the world um, and, and saying something that's authentic to you. I know that seems like an over, overused word these days, but I, a good example of what I mean when I say that is there's this one comedian I saw I only saw him one time. He was he was 16 years old or 17. He was cheating. And he had this where he said there are two types of parties. There are parties before year 10 and then there are parties after year 10. And I thought, oh, good. Because for him, it's it's and we can see it's so true. From his point of view in the world, that is his truth. And there's something funny just about that, that is articulating this really passionate thesis on the two different types of parties and how they can be divided. And I, I just thought it was, it was, it was great. And so coming back to answer your question, like where does the best material come from? I, you just have to keep trusting that it's, it's right where you are. It's, and which is a hard thing to do again and again something funny will happen or you be like, Oh, how can I repeat that again? And maybe it's unrepeatable born because you were being present in, in the moment. And um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question or not, but because uh, I don't think there's like a, a clear answer, but yeah, there is no just... clear answer. I was, I was more just keen to pick your brain on, on what you thought. Cause it's interesting, man. Like every comedian you chat to, everyone's got like a slightly slightly different approach to it. I, I love when I get to a comedy room and there's some bloke sitting in the corner with his notebooks, like madly scrambling out ideas, trying to navigate his set. And then there's another bloke that you see, he's got like four words written on his hand. He's like, no, I'm pretty sure I know where I'm going from here. Yeah, then, yeah, dude, yeah. I don't know if you ever heard, um, did you ever hear Kevin Hart's got a, like a, what's it called? Comedy gold mines. He's yeah. got a podcast and he interviewed yeah. Jerry Seinfeld once. Yeah. And that was like a, such a great example of the stark contrast between just different styles of comedy that there are, that there are uh, Seinfeld was just going through. Look, I keep a detailed notebook of every single joke I've ever written. Um, yeah. Kevin's like, damn, man, like I've got like a little section in my phone. It's just like jokes and, and uh, Seinfeld's there. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm quite attracted to like that romantic idea of keeping all your journals and keeping all your books. And Kev's like, oh, dude, I'm, I'm really upset. Like I've got nothing to show my work. And Seinfeld's like, yeah. what about your specials? <laughs> It was yeah, just a I, great example of um of that real because there's a real OCD approach to the comedy world that I've noticed as well, but I've I often notice or from what I've seen so far I feel like it's the people who they seem to have a little bit more of a looser. I don't know if this is true. I guess Seinfeld proved me wrong, but the people I seem to respond to at least appear to have a bit more of a loose approach on stage. It's not so scripty. I mean, Seinfeld is still the thing. Thing about Jerry Seinfeld when he's actually performing, he is very loose and he's very playful. And maybe that's not something that you associate with uh, Seinfeld straight away, but I think he still has that quality within his own idiosyncrasies of creating stand up. But what, what, what about yourself, Tyson? What's, what do you think is 
best process that works for you and makes you feel like you're coming alive and you're doing things that feel you know funny and true to you i always feel like when i'm when i'm on like if i'm having a really good night i'm i'm very aware i'm very sort of in touch with with everything that's happening in the room yeah i feel it, if i look back at the nights where i feel as though i've done my my best gigs it's the nights where there's like a it's just a strange level of confidence when i'm on the stage it's uh and for no apparent reason it's not because i'm more prepared or or anything than than what i've been in the past it's just what that particular night um you know there could be a particular vibe in the room yeah there's just so many different factors to comedy isn't there because you can take you can take such great material or such poor material to one particular room and and someone will laugh at the jokes that last night were shit and they'll give you nothing for the jokes that last night were awesome so you've got that element which i i try and navigate um yeah it's dude it, you're right it's an elusive question it's such a hard question to answer because it's it's definitely not like a there's not like a magic I, like i'd love to be able to figure out if there was a magic formula but at this at this stage there's not i do basic things like i come from the the you know the world of sports so i appreciate the discipline of sitting down and writing and i sort of challenge myself to write a, just at least a little bit each day even if it's just like a tiny little amount and then if um you know if there's something in there i might try and you know, expand on that a little bit more, but I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's something I'm just really trying to navigate. I'm something I'm, I'm really still playing with. A lot of the good stuff just comes out of random riffs on stage as well. Mm. Yeah, I'll, absolutely. Yeah. And the thing of like, uh, you said before about some, sometimes it doesn't work at one room and sometimes it doesn't work at another or it does work. Like there are so many variables that you really need to try something a few times to really know, but you also like want you want to want to try that. There has to be something in you that oh, I've got this bit about Johnny Cash and Elvis Presley. There has to be something in you, Tyson, that wants to keep exploring it. Um, otherwise, it won't be able to endure that 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 genesis stage of you know bombing or silence or. It has to be you. You have to believe it before anybody else believes it. Mm. That that and and I don't know if you have this experience. Sometimes when you do a bit for the first time, it might work better, and you think, "Oh, there's something here," and then then it dips maybe a little bit on the second or third time because when you're delivering it for the first time, there's you you don't know. There's just something in you that thinks, "Oh, there's something funny here," and so you go on with that energy of wanting to communicate what's the deal with Elvis Presley's knees, knee, kneecaps. And, 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 and so you go on wanting to like communicate this, this idea of him moving in this weird way. And so there's like a, I don't, there's an extra energy that used in the transmission of this image or whatever the bit is. And so when, and then when it works, you think, okay, that's, that's a bit. And so you think, I just need to go there again and recite the same words. But it, it, it loses maybe that original enthusiasm. That hundred percent. I often find that with with a number of my older jokes, which I feel like I, it sort of went through a phase. Like you said, I, I started here, and then they, they hit a real sweet spot. And a lot of the time now, when I do it, it just it feels just like an acting role. It just feels so boring, um, yeah. and I find it really hard to commit to it. And I think what yeah. made them interesting or good originally was was 
you know, whether it's something I need to relearn or, or, or learn how to do, but that original energy that I brought to it was, was maybe what made that joke funny. Whereas now yeah. like that weird, I feel like I can't quite fake a particular energy on stage. Yeah, it's, and you don't you don't realistic. want to you don't want to be nah. faking that energy either. I mean, you you still need to know like. I guess when it comes to doing old bits, you just need to know like, what's funny about it. What what did I originally think was, you know, fun to? Why did I think this was fun in the first place? And if you can still answer that and step into that, then you know there's something there and worth repeating. But yeah. otherwise, it's probably time to move on and explore something else. What what's comedy for you, man? Is uh like amongst your other your other what do you say jobs careers? It's cool. I feel like I'm in a fairly similar boat to you in the sense that I got an online running business. I day trade. I do stand up comedy. Uh, uh, comedy. Like there's there's a few different avenues that when people say, oh, "What do you do?" It's like, well, hello. Like you just sound like a wanker trying to explain, especially when you you chuck model in there. Do you know what I mean? It's like you're you're modeling, you're stand up. What where does comedy fit into that whole scene? Is it the is it sort of headlining those things or is it just a, you know, pretty equal value as the other parts? I mean, I would never say, I, I don't think I, I would never go tell someone I'm a model or because I just don't, I pr probably haven't worked as a model in, in, in years anyway. So and I, I tell people I am a model and I've never done it before <laughs> just to see if they believe me. So this is the difference between you and I, you actually have the looks which could support the claim. I just go, I'm a model and they go, oh, what for? I go, you know what? Let's just talk about something different. <laughs> No, you look like you could be a model. I mean, who, I, I, I guess maybe because I did it for so long in, and in some, when I was doing it overseas in New York, it was such, it was an intense environment in some respects. And I just, uh, yeah, it's just, there's to explore, but like with, with stand-up comedy, it's just sort of like an endless exploration of what's funny between and a bunch of strangers and making something come alive like that's that's a very i mean that's just a lot richer and a lot more endlessly inspiring or something to really like nourish you and and be engaged with um so yeah i don't know if that answers your question but like stand-up is like man i think stand-up is like the best the best thing there is yeah. and I, I love doing it. I love, I love watching it. I love uh, meeting other comedians. I love hanging out with other comedians. Pretty much every aspect of being a comedian, I, I really love. And like, I'm very proud to be a comic. I'm proud to know comics. I love the feeling of like watching other comedians and laughing hard and being, being awestruck by like, how are they doing this? How are they doing this? and continuously engaged with the, the mystery of it and, um, and lean in, leaning into being romantic and sentimental about it because just, that's just who I am anyway. And so, uh, and once you realize that, that the whole thing isn't to like identify what are the various aspects of Ty Tyson Popplestone, like, do I need to be the day trader? Do I need to be the stand-up comedian? Do I need to be the athlete? But that all these elements of you are essential and necessary, even as a comedian, because the, the audience wants to see the whole of you. And I, I think that an audience, whether they know it or not, always wants to see, we want to see a, a real three-dimensional human being. 
and so you don't need to choose like which part am I amplifying or not. I mean, sometimes you might do that incidentally to a story or a joke, but uh, they they want want you to be the whole of yourself. Even even though you might have a voice where it's like, no, hide this part or hide that part. Like just, yeah, just bring all of it, the good, the bad and the ugly and somewhere in that mess you'll you'll find what what's funny and what pops yeah that's so true isn't it it's literally just um always uh, one thing that helps me get through like a difficult night is just going all right you've got to bomb your way up and it is literally just trying to filter your way through through the mess because that's all it is isn't it it's just a it's a mess and just taking out like the little the little gold nuggets that you find along the way how often are you doing it man like you, you seem to be out and about fairly regularly are you well Thank you. Well, just before I answer that, I love that the words you just used, bombing your way up. I fucking love that. Yeah, it's cool, huh? That's great. Did you just say that then for the first time? Uh, well, I don't know if I've I don't know if I've said it before, but now now I just want to get a I want to get a patent on that claim so people can quote me. It's a good one, man. I'm taking it. I'm taking it. Uh, bro, please, please. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Just make sure it's... you always reference at the end of it. Tyson Popplestone, twenty twenty two. I will. I will. It's, but it's, it's, that's the whole thing, isn't it, Tyson? Like, because within those words is an acknowledgement that the only way you get better at this is by failing. And people, you, me, everyone, like in some ways, uh, we're, we're terrified of failure. And, and, and stand up is just a visceral you're always very close to failure and it's just a very necessary and essential part of the process. So like bombing your way up just acknowledges that the only way you get better at this is by being shit at it and accepting that you're going to be shit during the process of creating. Um, so I love that. Um, in answer to your question, I mean, I try to get up as much as possible because that's bombing your way up, isn't it? Like the more you can accelerate the amount of times you fail, but maybe insulate or minimize how exposed that failure is, that's just going to um, nourish and accelerate your own growth as a person, the, the actual material. Uh, the last the last six weeks, uh, since like or five weeks or so, has been like the least I've ever done stand-up, uh, mainly because of COVID. Mm. But I was... The, the first gig I did back was a, it was a trial show um, last week at, at Voltaire. It just, I'm like, I'm just going to, because I've been writing so much and been like, maybe this is a bit, maybe this is a bit for a month in between like feeling sick and just staying at home. Um, and so I just wanted to spend a lot of time on stage. Yeah. So, you know, did about 40, 40 minutes or something. But, but the same thing happened, Tyson, like all the, the best moments were just born when I was just with the audience and yeah. uh, pre- present with them. And um, sometimes that illuminates a different idea. You, you might've had a, this idea where you thought, Oh, this is, I'm going in this direction and this is going to be perfect. I'm going over here to a, and on your way to a, you just get sideswiped by life. And so then you're over at P and you're like, actually P's the, the goal. It's right over here. I never even considered that option. And that might only happen because of some weird exchange you had with an audience member or riff that you did on stage. 
So, um, John, laughing because I uh, another story of yours I saw was one of the blokes you were having a chat with in the audience. He said, all right, well, what's your name? He goes, sure. <laughs> and at the start, you're like, wait, that's an interesting way to answer that question. And then you tried to continue the conversation with him. You ask him another question. He goes, sure. <laughs> I thought it's so funny just watching that. That's the, that's the gold. Like, that's what I really love. Just watching that playfulness come out in a situation like that. It's just, it's so enjoyable for not only you on stage, but for the audience members to go, ah, oh, okay. Like yeah. this isn't just a repeat. This is, this is something very fresh that we're seeing for the first time. Yeah. Cause you can't manufacture that unless you're, you know, unless you're very, very good. Yeah. I think it's about uh, just finding what the game is Tyson, isn't it? Like, in, in an exchange like that, because he kept repeating the word sure, then you just realize, okay, this is this is the game that we're playing, that he's going to punctuate all of his ideas with, with sure. And, and he can't even see what's funny in it, but you can as a performer, and you know that everyone else in the room can see what's funny in it. So you just sort of keep walking down that road until you can you know get the laughs you want until you go on to the next thing. When you when you get off the stage, are you are you pretty quick to play your your sets back and, and take a note of like okay, what worked well, what was horrific, um, you know, what do we do again? Uh, am I pretty quick? I, I don't. I think I'm sure you're the same. You feel like you have a pretty good read on what moments or what bits worked well. Um, it depends what stage of the process I'm at. If I'm like really working on creating material. I'll listen to the whole set or um, specific bits to be like, okay, what's what's repeatable? Like what what worked well here? What can I do again? Or was it just unique to to the room? Um, you know, I'll consider things like that. As far as how quick I am, like if it, it depends, like when the next show is or what I'm, you know, all these other things or what else is happening in my life. Like last weekend, I was going to do two trial shows. So on the Saturday I did that show and I listened to the 40 minutes like that night by, you know, by midnight, I'd, I'd already listened to the show again and again, again the next day. Um, but that's because I, I, I really was trying to work on the stuff. So um, that's a bit more uncommon in a comedy festival. I would like record each show and usually the show will be a bit more secure or steady with like what bits I'm doing. So I don't need to like re-listen to the entire show unless there were some moments of like crowd work or it, but not, not really new bits that I'm like, um, well previously anyway, that I've been like, I'm trying to make this bit work when the comedy festival is, is on. That might be different this year when I get back from Kathmandu and I, I've, I've, I've actually contacted, oh, this, you were probably over there before you started comedy, but I've contacted some of the people in the Nepalese comedy scene. No, I've, I was going to ask you if there was, I just assumed there'd be nowhere to do it there, but there, there are, huh? Well, it, your assumption would have been correct only four <laughs> years ago, Tyson. Yeah, okay. Because, because the scene only started like at the end of 2018, 2019. Wow. And there's, there's maybe 10 people in the entire country who have done comedy before or, or, or consider themselves comedians. And half of that time or most of that time, they've been in a pandemic as well. So it's been even more restricted. But there's a, there's an Instagram account uh, connected to Kathmandu Comedy 
and I told him I was coming in from Melbourne and I was going back to Melbourne for the comedy festival and I'd love to do a trial show <laughs> before I leave. So hopefully I can do a, some Joe Green live at Kathmandu uh, before oh. I come back for the Melbourne Comedy Festival. So they're going to have a new follower after this episode. I've got to get, go sign that up. Um, is the mate that you're going with, is he a, is he a comedian or is a, or is she a comedian? Or it's just a, a random mate. Yeah, he's a very random mate. He's a woman and uh, he's a beautiful, beautiful man, Fergal. We, we actually had the... We had the same modeling agent in, in New York and we met maybe 10 years ago Jeez. and he stayed with me for about a month. One time we like just connected well and he came back from India to America and stayed with me for a month. I didn't see him for maybe three or four years and I saw him in Tokyo for a week. And then uh, I saw him in India about three or four years ago and so we've met, met each other in various places around the world and um, he's a beautiful guy and yeah, he just invited me saying, why don't you come to Kathmandu? And uh, so, so I'm taking up the invitation. You got a real appreciation for like the Eastern cultures is, is the vibe. I've heard plenty of your stories about India. Like obviously, you know, you're, you're heading over to the Himalayas. Like what's the, uh, what's the attraction there? Yeah. Well, it heard... seems like I'm just like playing, playing myself, doesn't it? But you know, I that I only went to India for the first time three or four years ago, and it, I didn't even shoot. I got a job over there, um, so it's not like I was like I have to go to India and explore this this culture. I did I did love it when I when I was there and when I stuck around a little bit. But uh, yeah, I, I, it's a very special place. Um, have have you have you been there at all? I haven't been to India. No, my wife's been a couple of times, and, yeah. and she swears we that I would love it. Like I'm, it's, it's pretty much Japan and India are two places I'm, I'm really desperate to go to that I haven't been to before. Yeah, Japan you would love as well. Are you been there? Yeah, 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 I have. Yeah. yeah. Um, man, the whole world is amazing, isn't it? And this is this is something we're like we're so been so starved of the last few years of even thinking it's it's possible, and. Um, I, it's amazing the fact that he invited me, uh, you know, just over a month ago. And my initial instinct was like, we're, especially in Melbourne, that like, we're just so used to like, we're not traveling and just accepting ability and there's, and it's not in our interests. And so I was so dismissive of it. And I thought, wow, it's like, I've really taken this on of like, don't, don't go. And, um, I'm sure there, you know, there are a few dangers, obviously, with traveling right now. But man, I'm I'm looking forward to just getting out there and just. I, I mean, I don't think they'll be. He, I've been speaking to him, you know, a few times a week, and he said, "Mate, there are there are not many uh, tourists. There are like there are no tourists here right now. That's that's awesome. There's there's no one here. Like there's so just jealous. the Indians and the Nepalese and and me and you when you get here." So, uh, I think it'll be a very special time to go. I hope, I hope at least. And, um, I, whatever my festival show becomes, it will be, it will be different. And, you know, that's, that's all you can hope for most of the time when you're putting it on shows. Are you doing, are you doing a show, Tyson? I'm not, man. No, I'm not. I've sort of, I've been a little bit, um, it's funny. I'm in two minds about, about the, the, 
the comedy festival for I, I can't put my finger on what it is it's like I know that there's plenty of people who have been at the comedy scene for around as long as me who are, who are getting out there and doing it but I'm just I, I don't feel like I'm in a super hurry right yes, right now I'm thinking maybe I'll maybe I'll give it a couple of years and you know just try and refine a little bit more and I don't know not that I'm ever expecting to have some like ultimate final show you know but mm. it's uh yeah I don't know I don't know what my uh what the holdback is really when when you feel it in yourself that like there's something you want to do then you honor that impulse when when the time comes but just yeah i I don't know if you like if it's something you want to do but i mean stand-up is such a like freewheeling lawless place that there's no right or wrong way to do it and the joy of it is that you can get up there and say or do anything i mean there are consequences for for saying or doing the wrong thing or the offensive thing or an unfunny thing but like you still have that freedom and there are not many situations where you have that real freedom and elasticity of i can just do whatever i want and um that even extends to the other aspects of it like putting on a show at the comedy festival or doing your show outside of the comedy festival I mean, you've got the like resources and no withal to do, you know, do a show out of the festival as well. Like you don't have to be bound by that. But I, I mean, I think the festival is a, a great, I, it's a really, I think it's a great time because I remember before I was really doing stand up, I would just love going and watching different people. And even as a comedian, I still love watching different comedians during the comedy festival. And I guess the thing about a festival compared to like comedy in America, for example, is that it's, it's requiring you to do like, do a new show every, every year, 50 minutes uh, of, of, of new material. And you realize like, that's almost impossible to do really well. Like there are very few comedians in the country who can do that year in, year out have 50 minutes of just solid stand-up but to play the that's the game we're in and it's if you just embrace that um it's it's a fun like creative challenge and i think at least my point of view the perspective on it is that at least make it a show and make it a show that people want to see and make the audience that sees it be like oh we saw a we saw a real show um that it's not that it's just stand up, but they have some sort of experience that is unexpected or transcends just the usual stand up sort of experience. Um, and, 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 and that's like an exciting challenge to be like, well, how can I do something that's uniquely Tyson Popplestone, but also is funny and also interesting and also, um, people want to come and see and people tell their friends, man, you've got to see this Tyson Popplestone show. Like, I think, I think that's a funny, it's, it's a, it's a slightly different problem to like, but not unrelated to like, how does this bit work? How can I make this bit work? Where does it work? How can I extend the bit? And those same principles just apply to a show as well of like, how does the show work as a whole? How can I, make it come alive more how do i make people like engage with it and um it can be like really creatively great the the festival because it's you're you're part of this very clear community 
Mm. And, and, and if, if it works well, you can make some good money as well. And obviously it's not just about the money, but if you can make a good amount of money in a two weeks or four weeks, then it's, especially in your growth as an artist, that's a really affirming, encouraging thing that you're like, Oh, wow, this is, I feel really empowered by this, that it's like, it feels a bit more grounded and that this is, you know, sustaining itself. Mm. Um, so I think there's some of the good things to, to what the festival can, can be. That's cool. I like that idea of, um, of just being forced every year to have 50 minutes ish of new material. I never really yeah. thought of it like that. It sort of, it, it just, it, cause I've got a few jokes now that have just been, they've been there for, for a few years. I'm like, Oh mate, if I had a special, I think these ones would have probably said good night by now. Like the idea of saying, all right, like after the special or after the, the festival, this, this one doesn't see the light of day for a little while anymore. Like yeah. I like that idea of just having some kind of, um, pressure to, to at least just be creative or, or, or to come yeah. up with something new. It's just a game. It's just a game. Like, and, and people can be like, Oh, it's better in America because they don't have to do a special every year. But it's like, well, you're, you're here, you're not there. And so you just have to play the ball from where, where you are. And that's if you want to play that game of like, you don't have to play that game. You can be like, I'm not doing the festivals. I'm going to do the festival when I want to do the festivals. Like there's heaps of good comedians that, um, don't do that. But, but that is like a good way to make money if you want to make money from it. And it's, it's a fun thing creatively to be engaged with the, the, like the stress and the deadline of like on April 10th to April 24th, you're doing 14 shows. So whatever you're doing between now and then people will be buying tickets and they'll want to see you do something for 50 minutes. So better think of something. <laughs> like that's, that's a bit scary, but like the, the fear of that, it, it starts putting both your conscious and your unconscious mind to work. Even the cogs are like, okay, let's fucking, let's, let's get something here. Jeez, man. Where are you doing yours? Uh, a place called Storyville. Storyville. Where, where's that? It's, where is it? Is it off Lonsdale or Latrobe Street uh, near the corner of Russell Street in the sort of Chinatown district? Yeah, sweet, sweet. Yeah. And how many, because uh, the, the idea of, so I think maybe maybe the uh, the truth is starting to come out. Maybe what scares me about it is that idea of sort of two weeks of flat out shows to yeah. fill up however many seats there are. How many seats you got to fill, on, or ideally in each each session? I think fifty four, fifty five. Oh, that that's a that's a decent amount, but it's also a nice. It's like an intimate crowd, isn't it? Like it's yeah. not a because even if you get even if I had like thirty people in there, you know what I mean? Like if it's two thirds full, that's awesome. That's a yeah. that's a really nice crowd, yeah. But that idea of just is it a bit of a hustle just to trying to get the tickets out there? Like, how are you? How are you even doing that through Instagram and are you marketing it and stuff? Or, or well, I've like... done maybe four solo shows at the comedy festival, and uh, you have again. It's like the, working on the bit as well, or a bit. It's you're going to fail in the beginning, and so yeah, I had a lot of failures at the comedy festival as well, and then you just learn from them. So. Last year, I sold out pretty much the whole season, but that that was that's because I think it was a good show and people wanted to come to the show. So it just I, I I used all those traditional things like Instagram and Facebook and various social media platforms. But I think that the show itself just had good word of mouth and um uh yeah that that helped. Like I had a very weird ending, Tyson. 
like uh, I had like two Japanese women that were like performing in the show and they came into it at, at the end and uh, it was just like a normal stand-up show for 40, 45 minutes until these like two old Japanese ladies like all of a sudden in the show and uh, it just... What were they it. doing? Um, so what happened was, I don't know if... I don't expect you to know this, but my poster last year was a picture of me and an old Japanese woman. Dude, I literally, I saw this, I was looking at your website before uh, before we started, and I think I, or your agent's website or something like that, and I saw the poster you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, so it was me and an a old, beautiful woman called Matoko, who the day I was doing this photo shoot just happened to walk past. I was wearing this very elegant pink outfit, and there was a pink wall. So I called out to her and said, do you want to get some photos? And um, so that's how that was that moment just like organically happened. Um, the show wasn't going to include Japanese women at all <laughs> until in, it would have been almost two years ago. Was it like, uh, oh no, last year, sorry, last year, but um, yeah, almost 12 months ago to the day it was just after the, um, I was at a house party. It was Australian Open women's tennis final just happened or was happening. And this guy came up to me and said, mate, I love that photo of you and the Japanese woman. Never met this guy before. <clears throat> He's like, do you, um, do you think you were an old Japanese woman in a previous life? And I was like, no, definitely not. And he's like, I, I think you were. And, and I'm like, why do you think that? And he kind of sheepishly looked around. And he said, well, because I was. And I feel like uh, I can kind of tell when other people were Japanese women in previous lives as well. So I had this joke slash story about, so there we were, just these two Japanese women <laughs> hanging out, catching up over old times. That's a great joke. And, and, and the joke goes on for a minute or two. And then the end of the joke, uh, this guy was just like a 30-year-old bloke from Brunswick who brewed his own kombucha. But uh, at the My kind of boy. Yeah, this this guy, sorry, this girl came out and said, guys, you missed it. The women's match just finished. Naomi Osaka won the Australian Open. And my friend looked at me and he was like, Naomi Osaka, that, that's our girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that was a joke I had, maybe a two or three minute joke slash story that I was doing in the lead up to the festival. And I thought, not a bad bit, has a few laughs. How can How can I extend the joke? And I thought, you know what? The only really funny thing to me that I can think of to extend this joke would be if I said, Dino, he's, he's here tonight. He said he was going to come here tonight. I don't know if he's here or not. Is he here, Dino? And then uh, an old Japanese woman, <laughs> Ayoko, is like, Joy, Joy, it's me. <laughs> you know, and so we did that every night. I would have one woman in the audience <laughs> Who would say, I'm Dino. And then I would be like, what? And she would get on stage. I'd be like, oh shit, it is Dino. <laughs> I can see you're a Japanese woman. I'm not, but you clearly, like I was wrong. You are, I admit it now. And she would insist, no, you are a Japanese woman. I'm telling you, you are. I'm like, no, that's crazy. You are, I'm not. Let's just leave it there. She's like, listen, drink the kombucha, go and put on your kimono. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, why would I have a kimono? I mean, I'll have a sip of kombucha, but I didn't just have kimonos backstage. So I walk off backstage 
and then I give the mic to a, another Japanese woman who would walk on stage dressed identically to me and be like, you think I just have kimonos back there, you bloody idiot? <laughs> and then she sort of like really starts yelling at her, but in Japanese as well. And she would do stand up for like um, one minute, kind of roast me a little bit, just be like, where was I? Oh yeah, I was talking about my journey, how, how profound my journey has been, all the lessons of my journey. Yeah. And really like go to town on me. And uh, then she would be like, you know, at the end of the day, we're all one. Like I am Joe Green, but you are Joe Green and you are Joe Green. And then I would come from the end of the theater and be like, I am Joe Green. And then she would drop the mic and opera music would start to play and we would come and face each other on stage. And um, as the reached the crescendo of a song, we would get closer and closer. And then we would just start pashing uh, <laughs> uh, in front of everyone. And Ayuko would start standing up and applauding. And that was the show, man. That was the end of the show. That is so funny, man. And was she a, a little old Japanese lady or a little young Japanese girl? Yeah, old, 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 older ladies. Older ladies. Man, that's so funny. Imagine how happy that would be. And so, uh, man, we all, they, the women, Ayuko and Mayumi, were fantastic. Um, I just got a text from my mum asking if she can play touch here. She's 65 years old. But yeah, man, it's, I, th I think just having a sort of a silly, playful ending like that really helped the show a lot. And um, it made me relax in the rest of the show because the rest of the show is sort of just like stand up and stories and um, I could just riff and know that like, oh, this in the last five minutes is going to fucking hit him right in the gonads. And so knowing there's like a strong theatrical ending helped me enjoy the rest of the show as well. Um, and yeah, we'll see what we can come up with for 2022, but like, it just sort of like happened organically as well. I was just, you know, you just have one bit. It's just, that's the pr process of like, and, and that's, I guess the difference and the evolution between a bit and putting a show together, like, I never would have done that, obviously, if I was just doing, you know, five minute spots, I would have been like, oh, yeah, that's the bit and it's locked and loaded. But putting on a festival show, because you realize people are paying to come and see Tyson. So they've made that investment to come and see you. So they're, they're willing to give you that time and that space for you to like explore a story or explore an idea. So every bit that you have i think it's worthwhile to be like is there any thread or theme here that i can extrapolate or keep exploring or extending that's funny for me that's funny for the people that's interesting for the people um and and just do that with every bit that you have and then you start start to see the connections and um you you weave a a thing from there but it's it, our, our good mutual friend david mcneil who's a, a beautiful spirit oh, and great writer as well as, as well as he a is, athlete. Yeah. He, I don't know. He, he did it this great post a few days ago where he's uh, he was talking about connections and coincidences and that, yeah, maybe this happening and this happening is a coincidence, but what's a coincidence other than an opportunity to see connection. And that's a lot for me. I feel like that's so much of the process for stand up and especially putting a longer show together of like 
how can these things connect and how can they increase the funniness of one bit to another bit and where are those connections building a story or building the comedy in, in, in something. And I think you, you only can do that by just wrestling with it and also accepting that sometimes you don't know the answer and sometimes just asking the questions and staying with the questions is the process that you're in and that's the stage of the process that you're in and that's accepting cool, and embracing that. That's, um, yeah, one, one, uh, I've read Bob Dylan's autobiography a couple of years ago and one of the stories... Oh, the Chronicles. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Really? Um, absolute classic. My, my wife bought it for me in Spanish. I thought, that's not going to work. I don't speak Spanish. So <laughs> we, I, I, I picked it up just uh, I picked this one up quite recently, but a couple of years ago, I, I read it, man. And uh, he's got a story. Did you read it? Yeah, I've read it. Yeah. He's got the story in there where he talks about how he, I can't remember what songs they were, but he, he, he wrote a couple of song lyrics and he goes, I just, I put them in a top drawer and locked them away to talk to each other for a couple of months. Wow. And it's sort of right on cue with what you're saying. And that image always just sort of sticks out to me because I, right. I, I don't get frustrated at it a lot. But, but often if I'm trying to work through a joke, I, I can feel sometimes if I'm just trying to force something to happen. Whereas that idea of just locking it away for a couple of months and just letting the cogs wheel, uh, the, you know, the cogs turn subconsciously yeah. a little bit, uh, just as you go about your daily life. So often you'll, you'll get a punchline when you're going for a swim at the beach. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's just, yeah. It blows my mind just where these little... Uh, little gold nuggets sort of pop up from yeah that's great i love that image tyson cool huh yeah i, I knew the page i'd read it to you <laughs> just, let, just let the lyrics talk to each other for a while that's perfect that's exactly what what we're doing sometimes you're like you're like me in speedos me with a salami sandwich sitting in the sun what what's what's funny about the salami sandwich and me and speedos and you just let them talk to each other for a bit <laughs> yeah. let, 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 and, and see what comes up so good i got seven i got seven punchlines for that already do you um i mean you can edit this one or not but do you yeah. did you spend much time in Kathmandu when you were in nepal yeah i did yeah yeah i um do you have any, any like recommendations for me like while, while i'm there yeah, man, let me, um, I've got a, I've got a mate actually lives in WA and he's there all the time. So he'll have some better ones for you. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'll have a bit of a look through my old, uh, my old Instagram photos. Cause I was taking a couple of snaps when I was there. I really just enjoyed, they had like a, uh, it was like a Sunday market. So if you go to Kathmandu, mm -hmm. um, I think it was Sunday. It might even be like a daily thing, man. Mm -hmm. You go there and everyone comes from like their, their, their property or whatever. Some people are selling mandarins. Some people are selling their tomatoes. But they all, it's like a massive big courtyard. Wow. And people are essentially just, they've just got all their stuff laid out on the floor. It's like a local market. People are wandering around, just getting their local, their, their little groceries, the things they need for the week, their eggs, their chickens, their blah, blah. I thought that was a really cool, um, like a really cool experience. It's just, uh, I, I can imagine you'll be the same. I just love just throwing myself in the middle of, of the culture. I like to try and steer clear of. Well, it doesn't sound like you're going to have trouble steering clear of tourists at the moment, but yeah, but that was something that really stands out. I'll um, yeah, dude, I'll send you a message, and and if I can think of anything, I'll uh, I'll shoot them through. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. No, nah, awesome. When did you say you're leaving? Uh, I'm going in less than two weeks. Yeah. All right, bro. Are yeah. you are you performing before then? I'll do some spots. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what's tonight? Friday. I probably got to. Yeah, I'll I'll be doing some spots before then for sure. What about you? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'll be out and about. I was uh, I was going to be at Laughs on Lantern on Sunday, but 
I can't go, I don't think. Otherwise, everyone gets COVID. Um, yeah, okay. I think I, I think I got a. a oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You still got it. Are you? So you're in quarantine right now? Yeah, yeah. 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 So you on Monday or Tuesday? Uh, what day did I do it on? I think it was Tuesday. Yeah, till Tuesday. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So I probably. Um, I think I'm doing a funny, funny bunny next Thursday. Might be my my next one. Okay. Good one. In St Kilda. Yeah. So that'll be good. Yeah. Yeah, bro. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Oh, you're right back at you. Yeah, legend.